What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Monkey Finance Show podcast. Today, we're going to be recording episode number 57. And this one, uh, I'm going to title, Be Careful Who You Trust. Um, you know, recently, I've been thinking a lot, and there is a lot and a lot, a lot of information that's being thrown at you uh, when it comes to investing, when it comes to money management. Uh, it's coming from multiple sources, people that uh, claim to be experts or are not experts, uh, people that claim to have a big secret to get you rich quick, uh, to people who sound like they know what they're talking about. So there's a few truth tellers, as Paul Merriman will put it, that a few truth tellers who will actually tell you the truth. And it's people who don't have a hidden agenda. It's people who uh, don't have a conflict of interest. And when you start thinking about just Wall Street in general, Wall Street has something to sell you. Um, they got products and products and products, and then every year they come up with new products. And those products have to be sold to people. So there's Wall Street firms, investment firms, who hire stockbrokers. And by the way, um, stockbrokers are probably the least knowledgeable out of all financial advisors, stockbrokers are probably the least knowledgeable when it comes to uh, financial planning and building wealth. But we'll get into that later. So there's stockbrokers who essentially get a pass a test, which um, it's pretty easy to pass. Uh, if you know how to read and write, you could probably get your Series 7 license and start selling uh, mutual funds tomorrow. Well, not that fast. You got to study a little bit. But it's pretty easy to get, right? If you're somewhat educated, you can pass this test. It's not that difficult. Uh, believe me, I, I was in the process to becoming a licensed financial advisor, so I know this. I uh, um, almost, almost took the plunge, but then uh, sort of my morals stepped in and said, hey, uh, you can't do this. Anyways, so these stockbrokers work for these Wall, uh, Wall Street investment firms, and I'm sure they're nice people. They're probably all college graduates uh, who come out of school thinking that they're going to be the next hot shot on Wall Street. And then they, they land into these firms and then they quickly realize that uh, these firms uh, really, they serve one purpose to the firm, these stockbrokers, that's to make the firm's money um, and not really their clients, right? So they will pitch whatever their bosses tell them to sell. They're going to um, give you whatever gets the highest commission in their pockets. And I guess you can't blame them. I mean, if you have a moral compass, you probably could. You could probably say, what are you doing? But, uh, you know, if they're looking out for themselves, trying to foot, put food on the table for their family, they probably believe they're doing a, a, a nice job or at least a, a job that, you know, supports their lifestyle. But stockbrokers are really like the car salesman on a used car lot. Uh, on a used car lot, the salesman will never show you a bad car. Every single car they have on that used car lot is great. Same thing with the stockbrokers. Any loaded mutual fund, insurance product, whatever they have, it's great. I mean, it's it's top of the line great, right? And really, that's when you should start to sniff the BS is if there is no downside potential, if there is no... Um, sort of a risk calculation in the product that they're telling they're trying to sell you if there's no downside I would run because there's nothing in the stock market is guaranteed not even a freaking bond so 
if they're not willing to talk about the downside, it's probably a very risky product that nobody wants, and that's why he's trying to sell it to you in the first place, he or she. So you have those people, and they're not to be trusted. They're sleazy salesmen, snake oil salesmen. Uh, they have high turnover in these positions. These people come in, they sell uh, to their friends and family. They no longer are needed by the firms. The firms kick them out and move on to the next one. Uh, and that leads me to insurance salesmen as well. Uh, and, and you can lump these, I guess, uh, insurance salesmen, they're not necessarily all on working for Wall Street firms, but I think a lot of insurance salesmen, and I'm sorry to you if you are an insurance salesman, I'm not trying to sound uh, um, like your job is uh, the worst out there. I mean, you could be, there is worse. You could be a, a, loan, a loan consultant for, for a payday lender or something like that, but you know these insurance salesmen, same same idea, really. Fresh out of college, um, they get hired by one of the big insurance firms, uh, Washington Mutual. They get uh, hired by uh, one big, one of the big insurance firms, uh, Northwestern Mutual, for example, and uh, they call their friends and family. They send and they sell them um, universal life insurance, a whole life policy, uh, variable life. I mean, all kinds of high commission insurance products. Uh, recently, a friend that was helping uh, out with his finances, he was in a uh, variable life product that was a premium of two sixty five a month, I believe. Had a cash value attached to it, but uh, two sixty five a month. Uh, he's had it for five years, and he's got a two hundred fifty thousand coverage of life insurance. So if he were passed away, he's got two hundred fifty. Well, I, I kind of just mentioned to him, hey, I who's your um, who's your um, car insurance with? And he said, oh, it's with uh, uh, State Farm. I'm like, oh, cool, I am too. Uh, so I have a term life policy with State Farm that's less than 20 bucks a month uh, for more covers than what you have in your uh, variable life policy there. And and that whole that cash value that you know, you're thinking is an investment account, if you pass away, they keep the cash value for the most part. Uh, yes, you can take the cash value out early, but... When you calculate all the all the penalties and fees, these whole life cash value products, whether they're variable or or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're all garbage, right? And high commission products. These insurance salesmen collect sweet premiums on their friends and family, and then when they can no longer poach off people, turnover happens, and uh, uh, they move uh, they move on to to another uh, scheming. Uh, Insurance company usually. Uh, next on the list that I have for people you should be careful and trusting is people who have, again, conflicts of interest. So the first two I mentioned, stockbrokers, insurance salesmen, sure do. The next one I'm going to name by name, by name and that's Dave Ramsey. And I want to say with all due respect to Dave Ramsey, uh, um, I used his program or his baby steps to get myself out of debt. And honestly, I've tried many times before that to get my debt situation in order. And it wasn't until his work, I found his work that I was able to do it. So um, without him, I wouldn't be here. I completely understand that. But again, he's got a conflict of interest. So sure, uh, if he wants to charge for his uh, Financial Peace University courses and all that, I think that's perfectly fine. I'm a financial coach. I charge people to help them uh, set up budgets, to help them save money. Uh, I charge them for that. I charge an hourly rate. I think that's providing a service. I don't see a problem there as long as you're upfront about what you're charging. 
Um, and that's where the first two really, uh, the fees are hidden. They're not up front. So you don't know what you're paying for, really. The commission's kind of built into the price. But, you know, if you're up front charging for a service, perfectly fine. I think it's a perfectly moral way to do business and, and, and to help folks, right? At the end of the day, it, you shouldn't be mad at somebody who's charging you for, for a service because you're paying for services all the time, right? Like, do you go get your hair cut for free? Probably not. Uh, do you go and get an oil change for free? Probably not. Those are all services. So if somebody's charging you to help you with your finances, perfectly fine, um, as long as it's somebody you trust, obviously, and somebody who's upfront with how they're doing it. So the thing that I have the issue with Dave Ramsey is not so much the the, the uh, courses and all that, but it's really the the uh, endorsed local providers and the and the investing advice because. Uh, and Dave Ramsey's firm got in trouble for this. I think 2015 or 16, he was referring people to financial advisors, uh, but you needed to be licensed in order to do that. And Dave Ramsey's not licensed, right? So he he got in trouble with the SEC in 2016, I believe it was, over this because it wasn't, again, it wasn't up to par to what the government believes is the proper way to do this. The government says you should be licensed. Not that I'm not saying that, you know, people that are licensed or as I proved with the stockbrokers doesn't mean anything, but, uh, he got in trouble for that. The other issue I have is he, his investing advice is strictly tailored to match up with his, um, smart vester pros that are, uh, financial advisors selling these products. Right. So instead of saying, well, you don't need a professional. You can probably do this on your own. It's very simple, actually. It's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. Um, he doubles down and says you need a financial advisor. So I think right there is a conflict of interest. He's obviously uh, saying you need a financial advisor because he has a program here where he makes uh, a cut off every referral he sends to financial advisors. But then instead of saying um, low-cost Probably diversified index funds are the form of investment you should use. He doubles down again and says you should use actively managed mutual funds. Now, anybody who has uh, read a couple of books or studied academic research knows that's not true. In the majority of cases, I would say 99% of cases over a 20-year period, this is true, especially in large cap funds like large uh, large cap uh, blend funds, you're not going to beat the market and the reason is you're not going to beat the index because of the of the fees. Dave Ramsey claims that you know fees don't make much of a difference. That's why if you use his people, they're going to probably put you in loaded mutual like front load mutual funds, meaning that they charge you a five percent cut right off the top. So if you deposit a thousand bucks, they take five percent of your deposit, put it in their pocket, and they invest the rest of your money. Uh, and then they're going to put you in actively managed funds that generally are going to underperform whatever benchmark, underlying benchmark they're trying to outperform. Uh, so you got two things going against you there. You got the the the, commi- the commission on a front load of a fund, and you got the fund fees. And then you have a third thing going against you, which is the actual stock broker in the Dave Ramsey program who's going to take their cut as well. So you got... And you got three people dipping here, right? You got the, the Dave Ramsey taking his cut, you got the mutual fund company whose mutual funds they're selling, and then you got the stockbrokers. So you got three people taking your money who are supposed to be looking out for you and your best interest. 
they're all dipping into your money, right? So there is no way that if you use all three of these services that you're going to have more money in the end than just a regular stock market index because the index takes very little money. Its performance is already going to be unbeatable. But then when you add the fees, it takes barely anything. So you're going to have the best performance if you just had the index. But instead, you gave some of your money to Dave Ramsey, gave some of your money to a stockbroker, you gave some of your money to a mutual fund company. And that's the truth. And for some people, the truth hurts. And I'm sorry if it hurts, but that's the truth. And then you have these... Um, then I'm not going to name any by name because there's way too many of them to name, but you have these YouTube investors who probably came into the market within the last year or two. You can tell they're green uh, because of the stuff that they're pushing. Now, some of them are unethical because on their YouTube channels, they're going to push uh, whatever the YouTube algorithm wants them to push. And, you know, the algorithm, usually people like risky investments, single stocks, cryptocurrencies. So they're going to talk about that. But behind the scenes, all their money is in index funds. But they're not going to tell you that. Those are the sleazeballs I hate the most. But then you have other ones who maybe generally believe that they could beat the market. and But they can't, right? And and they don't show the results. They don't show their their work. They don't show proof that they've done anything. And when you ask them, well, you know, what, what have you averaged over the last five or 10 years? They can't tell you because they haven't been invested that long. And they won't be up front and tell you that they've only been in the market 18 months. They're not going to tell you that. Um, and I find issue, again, there, there's a conflict of interest there. Those people are looking to fill their pockets through YouTube ad revenue way more than they're looking to help you. As a matter of fact, I would say, including my stuff, uh, do not trust anything that you see online. Um, unless you can verify it, if there's a source where that information came from, that's fine. But uh, it don't just automatically trust that the stuff that you hear online is correct because everybody and anybody wants to be an expert online. But in real life, they have no freaking idea what they're talking about. So just be very careful with these online uh, YouTubers and social media influencers. I'm hearing there's such a thing as TikTok finance now where you got 15-second finance advice clips. Just stay away. Please stay away. Next is people like your your friends um, or your neighbor or your brother-in-law. I mean, these people or your golfing buddy, these people are going to tell you sto amazing stories. I mean, I, I put in $100 and now I made $10,000 in Tesla stock. Like, oh my God, like I'm a genius. And whenever you talk to these people, they always have a new hot stock or a new something new for you to put and invest in. But just simply ask these people, if you're so good and you're making all this money why are why aren't you managing you know money for uh, private clients why aren't you on wall street running a, a mutual fund why are you telling me this if this is such good advice or better yet why haven't you become a billionaire yet with these numbers you're telling me i mean it math if you do math basic math if if they're returning what they're telling you they're returning they should have millions and millions of dollars on their way to be billionaires but then, again, these people will hit it off once on something, and it's 100% luck. And they will go around touting that thing, but they either purposely or maybe because of the pain 
uh, of all the losses that they've had, they never talk about that. And I see it all the time now with Tesla stock because that's the most recent one that exploded. But, you know, everybody that got put in $10,000 into Tesla stock and now has, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, they feel like the genius. When if they really knew that was going to be what was going to happen, would, don't you think they would have put in more than 10000 Right, like if 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 you knew for certain this is what happens with Tesla, you're probably put loading the boat, putting everything you got because you know put it all on red. You know it's gonna hit. Um, they don't. They didn't know. They just again put a bunch of money into random stocks, and one of them took off, and now that stock is all they talk about. But the nine others that failed, those don't come up. I um, another example I, I should have forgotten. I should have mentioned at the beginning was Ark Invest. Um, Kathy Wood. I've been saying for over a year now. She runs an actively managed ETF, a couple of them, and I've been saying over a year it's been a fluke. Like what what she's able to do, one hundred twenty percent in one year, uh, was a fluke. She got lucky. Most of it was Tesla, but I mean she had a huge tailwind, huge tailwind. And I knew there's no way those results could be repeated. And everybody, you know, made fun of me for that or said I was crazy or whatever the case may be when I put out a $50 price target on her fund. And I think last week her fund hit $50. And, you know, most investors have lost over 50% of their money. But that's the thing. Nobody's going to tell you that. Nobody now is sitting and talking about ARC, how great it is, because they're all down in their portfolios and they're not going to tell you. But... Last year or the year before, whenever it had the amazing, I mean, everybody was making money uh, hand over fist and everybody was telling you how great of an investor they were. That's the thing. You have to understand anybody, and I mean anybody, a monkey off the street can be a good investor in the short term. But you have to under, you have to ask people, what is their long-term strategy? What strategy are they following? And most people can't answer that question. And that should be a huge red flag. If somebody can't lay out their long-term strategy, it means they have no idea what they're doing. They're just hitting random tickers on on their uh, phones, and some of them are hitting, some of them are not, and that's their. If that's your strategy, you're not going to build long-term wealth. Same thing with, you know, people who don't have the experience in the stock market. Or are not, for example, me, I lack experience in the stock market. I've been investing since, seriously, since 2019, right? So three years. But what I lack in experience, I've sure have made up in, in research and in reading books and in um, emulsifying myself in trying to understand the stock market. And nobody can perfectly understand the stock market. But if you went through and watched my progression from 2019 to 2020 to 2021 and now even 2022 you'd see that every step of the way i was sort of getting more and more confident in what i was talking about more and more confident in my beliefs that i knew with the data and the research i've done they're not opinion based they're fact based right and that's going to lead me to how do you know who to trust or what sources to trust when it comes to doing research. This is probably another crucial piece of information. Not only should you be careful in the person you're trusting, be careful in the source. I recently saw a commercial from a firm that I hate, but I'm not, I'll mention them by name. <laughs> uh, they're uh, Global X, Globex, right? 
and they have all these crazy high expense ratio dividend high yield ETFs. And they did a put out a uh, a commercial how they uh, their investment product has beaten the market over the last three years. I just went. I'm scratching my head here, and I'm like, really? Like you you're gonna count in a three year span? So if I invest in your product, and I'm invested, let's say at age thirty, and I'm not retiring to sixty, what difference does it make if you've beaten the market over the last three years? Absolutely none. But then. What's crazy is they have many, many ETFs. So the one that they were talking about beat the market, but the 15 other that they have grossly underperformed. And I'm like, well, you're talking about one out of 19. So this is, again, like lottery odds. You start filling out the uh, the bubbles on your lottery ticket. You're, you're not going to hit. You're not going to build wealth. Like This is not the way to do it. They sound like, I mean, they sound reasonable right i mean the commercial looked good um they they wouldn't lie i'm sure they're regulated by finra they're not just gonna lie but they're not telling you the whole picture they're disclosing information that makes them look good and they hide the information uh, that doesn't again that's because of conflict of interest so if you see a fidelity commercial or charles schwab commercial or i don't care who t row price fisher price uh edward jones they're all gonna you know say something that makes them sound good. And of course, they will fudge the numbers uh, t- so that it, it's believable that they're doing this wonderful thing when in reality, almost all of their products underperform the market. You should trust people who have your best interest at heart and who don't have conflicts. Uh, I think nobody's going to say they don't have your best interest at heart. That used car salesman, and I hate to keep going back to this but it's important that used cards used car salesman on the lot he cares about his commission way more than what kind of car you get in as long as you buy a car he's happy and he's going to do everything in his power to sell you a car while you're on that lot that day no difference than the people on wall street the insurance salesman no different than what dave ramsey does and as long as you understand that going into it I think it's very easy to determine who you trust. You're going to trust people who are looking out for your best interest or people who don't have a conflict of interest, who uh, stand to make nothing or gain nothing from the advice that they're giving you, right? And it's important to know too, especially if you're going to use a professional. Uh, so if you're going to use a financial advisor, make sure they're a fiduciary uh, make sure that they're either ideally as someone who's charging a flat hourly rate. Uh, I know those are hard to find, but hopefully uh, that those types of advisors are generally going to be charging either flat rate or they might be charging assets under management. I, I don't like the whole assets under management model uh, just because, you know, as you build up your book of business, you're raking in a lot of money from your clients, uh, some of them who you maybe never, ever talk to. Uh, and it, what kind of service are you providing that's generating a 1% uh, fee from you know your client's portfolio, that a quarterly fee that you collect every every quarter? I feel like it's just, it's wrong. 
versus an hourly model is if you provide a service uh, and it's great financial advice that you give somebody for their situation. Yes, it might seem to the client that your your price is high, uh, but really it's it's a drop in the bucket compared to what assets under management cost the client. So those are the kind of models that I look at. And even now in my financial coaching business, where again, I don't give out investment advice, but I do take on clients where I teach them about money management, teach them how to budget, teach them how to pay off debt, teach them how to save money and spend less. I charge hourly and I feel okay with that. Actually, I feel perfect with that because it's upfront. You know what you're getting into. If you don't like it, don't have to participate. If you do want to change um, and become more financially literate and want to follow my teachings, then that's the cost. You know, and like I said at the beginning, nothing's free. You can't go get a free haircut. <laughs> There's no such thing as a free lunch. So if you're thinking that you're getting a good deal, if that stockbroker's buddy buddies with you, if he's your best friend or that insurance guy is smoothing you, um, there's a reason for that. They're making a killing off of you and you don't even know it. So be careful who you trust. That's all I have. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Until next time, remember, move obstacles, keep investing.